0: I think the first thing I want to say is don't feel like you ever have to limit yourself in anything that you do. Like if you're passionate about it, there's going to be a way to make it happen. And I think that you if it's something that you want to do and you're passionate about, definitely pursue that. And I think in terms of like how did I choose which groups to kind of target and focus on? I mean, I I picked groups that I could relate to. So, I'm a black queer woman and I was like, okay, cool. Like let me, like, I know that I struggled with potentially, like, getting to college in the first place. My parents didn't know how to apply to college. They didn't, you know, know how to help me in that realm. So, you know, how can I reach back to students? Mississippi has one of the highest Black populations in the entire country. So, I mean, that was an easy community to reach, and I was always, you know, there. And then, you know, it became, I work in the community very frequently. So, like, what do people need and what skills do I have to address that need? What resources do I have to address that need? So,
1: Welcome to Navigating Nano Podcasts, where we explore the multidisciplinary world of nanotechnology with distinguished professors and researchers. Join us as we sit down and talk about their cutting edge research, career paths, and expert opinions on the expanding world of nanotechnology. This week, we welcome Dr. Brianna Sims, a postdoctoral associate in polymer chemistry at Duke University. She sits down with us, the Materials Research Society at the Joint School of Nanoscience and Nano Engineering to talk about giving back to your community not limiting yourself as a researcher, and she reminds us that if there is a will, there is a way. Please join us as we navigate Nano.
2: Hi, everyone. My name is Anjali. I'm here today with my co-host, Ashley, and today we have the pleasure of introducing Dr. Brianna Sims, who is a postdoctoral associate at Duke University in their Department of Biomedical Engineering. Her research topic includes, or therefore her research interest is in the areas of chemistry, engineering materials, as well as cosmetics. So, please, everyone, help me in welcoming Dr. Brianna, and I'll pass it off to her to talk to us a little bit more about who she is and her research interests.
0: Yeah. Um, So hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me, first of all. Um, Yeah. So my research interests lie in chemistry. I'm trained as a polymer chemist. Um, I got my PhD at the University of Mississippi and Now I'm doing engineering, so complete hard pivot (laughs) into some biomedical engineering work um, where I design these lipid-based scaffolds or lipid-based biomaterials for therapeutic delivery and tissue regeneration and things like that. Um, And so I'm interested in cosmetics in the sense of like designing biomaterials for cosmetic applications um, in the medical field. So I'm really interested in treating like burn wounds, for example, um, and helping like with decreasing scarring and things of that nature. I'm interested in like helping with um, hair regeneration um, for like folks with alopecia and things like that. So cosmetic in nature, but definitely still biomedical based. Awesome.
3: So a little bit about well, piggybacking off of that. So What was your inspiration that really got you into chemistry? So I know from the seminar earlier today, you had like a background in biochem, and now you're over a little bit more into engineering a little bit, but what was the thing, what was that spark that got you into chemistry to begin with? Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah, no, that's a phenomenal question. Um, I think that for biochemistry specifically, I was really interested. Um, I was at Xavier University of Louisiana and I had someone tell me about um, basically like what perms or relaxers do to your hair. And I was like, sold. I was like, yes, <laughs> this is exactly what I came to college for. And I felt like that was such a cool, cool opportunity. Then I went to graduate school and was like, I want to do biochem. And I met with the few biochem professors that were there and they're like, sorry, I'm not taking grad students. And I was like, Okay. And so right, it was and so then I met Dr. Watkins and um she was like, "Yeah, I do biomaterials. Like I think you'd be a great fit." And I was like, "I don't know, it's a little too much chemistry. You know, O-Chem was real terrifying when oh, I was yeah. an undergrad." I was like, "Are you sure like you want me to do this?" And she was like, "You can do some cell work." And I was like, "Oh my gosh, sold." So, I spent four and a half years doing organic synthesis <laughs> and one semester doing cell work okay. but really all of those years were really transformative and I started to like really fall in love with the chemistry and fall in love with biomaterials and like polymer science and now it's like okay now I'm here to do my postdoc and really get that biology and biochemistry yeah. experience that I thought I was going to get in grad school so it's kind of like I fell into it on accident, but I loved it, and I loved every, like, moment of it.
3: Yeah. And some of the things that we end up discovering about ourselves almost seem to happen that way. It's, yeah. Like, things we didn't really expect, we just fall into it, and then we fall in love with it, too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's but, definitely a good yeah. idea to kind of just chase your passions, like, chase what you're interested in and
3: chase what you're curious about, and it'll work out in the end. <laughs> That's really great advice
0: yeah
2: honestly and i just want to build up on that because i read on your profile that you're also an entrepreneur so not only love for science but you know translating science into more of a community use so Mm Talk to me a little bit more about like how you got into entrepreneurship, like yeah. what led you into it, what you love about it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it kind of started with my sorority. So shout out to us. We I'm a member of Sigma Gamma Rho Sorority Incorporated. And so we actually have a partnership that's funded by the National Science Foundation where we help um, Girl Scouts get their STEM badges. Yeah. And so in Mississippi, it's a very rural community and it's not the richest part of the country. In fact, it's one of the poorest states in our country. Um, And so getting those girls together and getting them the resources that they need in order to even get their STEM badges was always a challenge. So I started with my sorority and the chapters that were there, actually designing and developing activities and experiments for those girls to be able to get their STEM badges and make sure we checked off all the boxes because girls got some Americas. We're all serious about hitting all the points. And so from there, I had parents and they were like, oh, well, do you like do this regularly? Like, could you do this for like my student? And I was just like, oh, interesting. So then I started doing it. Um, Like putting together these activity kits and then shipping them out and doing like learning lectures or little, little learning modules and things like that with students. And it was a lot of fun. And then the pandemic hit and the world shut down and parents were forced to teach their kids. <laughs> and they were like, please, literally anything to help. And so... The September after, um, September 2020 is when my business was really born. Um, I launched my website. I started designing these activity kits. Um, and so the the company itself is called STEM Ed by Bree or STEM Education or STEMed by Bree. I don't know, however you want to pronounce it. But the focus is STEM Education. And so every month I design and develop a new activity kit and, like, mail it to kids all over the country. And we come together on a virtual platform and we, like do all the activities and all of the experiments in there and we have a great time it's a lot of fun kids are something else they are probably (laughs) they're truly the scientists of the future (laughs)
2: And I find it really inspirational how you took something like the pandemic and made it into a positive thing that you can carry on, especially like in teaching, because I know that's what you're passionate about. (laughs) So just taking that on as you teach not only younger kids, but kids like us who are undergrads and grads. Yeah. Yeah,
0: no, absolutely. I feel like we're always, or hopefully as long as you're in academia or in any science field, like we should be learning. I really think that that's so important to always be teachable. I feel like, you know, we look at people who have their PhDs as, like, the expert of whatever, and I'll be real quick to tell you, like, sorry, I don't know it. I don't know this. I don't know everything, and I don't pretend to. So I think being able to always be a learner, to continuously be a learner all throughout your life is so important and makes, like, all of this fun. So
3: kind of that importance of, like, lifelong learning.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Exactly.
3: So I love how you took kind of that need or that position where you saw a need in that community and was able to fulfill it. And I think that's kind of a um, a common thread when it comes to entrepreneurship. It, we've had some similar speakers in the past, and it seems like that's one of the things they mentioned is that they saw a need where it needed to be fulfilled, and mm-hmm. they just stepped right in. So I think for any of our people in the audience or those listening that are thinking about entrepreneurship, that's one thing, I guess, that you would also agree to keep First and foremost? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I
0: love um, being able to, I guess, one, give back. I think it's important to give back to the people that helped you kind of get to where you are. Like, I, I didn't make it here by myself. Um, and I think there's always going to be a need to reach back in STEM and in STEM education. Um, my parents didn't go to college right away. Um, In fact, they didn't go to college until I went to college. So, um, I mean, just being able to reach back to the community, I think, and always, like, addressing those needs or those disparities is really important. But especially in this field, I think there's so many people that don't have access or need access. And if we have the tools or the resources to do it, I think just as people as a whole, it makes sense to... Help those that need it, or to provide
3: the resources if you have them. So, agreed. And so, it seems like you have a lot of things on your plate between being a postcard, you know, <laughs> a, newer, a business owner. So, how do you juggle all of those different things, and what do you kind of do to take a step back and relax? Oh my gosh! So.
0: I got this piece of advice, I think, from some podcast, and I wish I could remember it. Actually, I think it was before breakfast is what it's called. It's like three-minute long like little podcast that you're supposed to be able to listen to within three minutes before your breakfast. So I remember them saying, life is about juggling. You're always juggling a whole bunch of balls around. The important thing is to know which balls are plastic and which ones are made of glass. I... It might seem like I have my whole life together, but I'm constantly dropping things. I'm like, okay, today this is not important, so I'm going to drop this plastic ball. Today this ball is glass, and tomorrow it might be plastic, and that's okay, too. So learning how to juggle those things. But even beyond that, it's like I really – I time block a lot. So I'm like, okay, I'm here with y'all right now, and I'm like, okay, this is all I'm focusing on. It doesn't matter if – you know, my office is on fire. <laughs> what oh it is what it is, that will sort itself out. And I will deal with that when the time comes to deal with it. But right now, in this moment, this is what I'm doing. And this is what I'm focusing on. So if I'm in the lab, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this experiment. And if you know, something else comes up, it can wait. There's no such thing as an emergency that you get an email about. So <laughs> I just, you know, I try to focus in like that. But also, to your second point, what do I do to relax? I Love spending time with my friends and my family. I love to travel. I love to refill my cup by doing like outreach or community service, which sounds kind of like cliche, right? But um, I feel like with all my friends, especially now that like most of us are either in grad school or like finishing up grad school, so all of us live all over the country. So we'll like go and visit each other and that's like a nice break. And I don't know. It just, it really refuels me. I have a puppy. I will take her on a long walk. Well, she's not a puppy. She's definitely a full grown dog. She's, like, <laughs> she's definitely super small though. So I continue yeah. to call her a puppy. So I'll go on like long walks with her or I'll go to the gym. I feel like, you know, things that everybody does. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's no. nice. Yeah, that's also, really nice. Yeah. yeah, but also
3: something to keep in mind and something that's very important because all of this good work that we're doing, we also have to remind ourselves kind of take a break, like re- mm-hmm. you said, refill our cups so that we yes. can continue to do this good work. Yes, absolutely. Very- Thank you for your advice. Yeah, no problem. I'm really truly inspired by
2: just you and your presentation <laughs> oh that you gosh. did an hour ago, but I'll just open it up to the audience. I know they're equally inspired and really curious to ask you more. I know we didn't have as much time to ask you questions earlier, so the floor is to you guys to ask any questions
3: that you have or, you know, just... Well, I love your presentation. I thought it was great. Um, it's so engaging, and the, the setup, I mean, it's very informative. It's was great. Um, I am applied biologist by trade, so I'm kind of breaking into kind of like similar, I guess, what you did. You we were going biochemistry and ended up more engineering. I, biology, ended up in engineering. <laughs> <laughs> so that's been, it's been fun. I, I'm enjoying it, but um, I definitely would love to think your brain a little bit more about polymers. Um, There's a on my project that I'm interested in. maybe. Uh, peptide, poly, poly um, polypeptide bonds, um, mm-hmm. and attaching them to like a surface, like, yeah, with uh, surface. Um, so that was probably one question. Um, was just, do you think that like, for example, like lasting like polypeptides, which is more of, like a, I I guess, micro, like, bacteria-derived polypeptide. Would um, have you seen any benefits of that? As far as like stimulus
0: responsiveness, as opposed to maybe a synthetic uh, like, yeah. mm-hmm. So I think that I guess the way that I want to answer your question is that I I think that one of the coolest things that we can do as like engineers is take a couple hundred pages from nature. Mm-hmm. Like nature got it all the way right, <laughs> and we're still here today. So. I think that if we take advantage of things that are already made in nature, so like these polypeptides, for example, and engineer them or modify them to be more useful to us than they already are, I think that's a really unique way that we can go, um, but I do see the the benefit to using these synthetic polymeric materials. So you can really fine-tune a synthetic polymer to exactly what you want it to be, down to, like, how many repeat units it has, for example. And so I think that that's, like, the beautiful thing about, like, the work that that I do is, like, being able to bridge the, the gap between the two. You can take a synthetic polymer and modify it with something that your body can easily recognize if you're thinking of, like, a bioengineering standpoint, right? You can add these peptides to, like these synthetic polymers and just make them more biocompatible or I guess just, I don't know, you can you can really like tease out some cool molecular architectures by combining the forces. So I don't think there's one that's better than the other. I think they both play a role that's
3: important. Okay, awesome. That, that's, that's great. And that's very helpful because I'm, as I said, very new to that kind of whole sphere. Um, and then additionally, I know you were talking about kind of being able to um, like form my and... Uh, to load certain, you know, either therapeutics or kind of whatever you want like in those uh, formations. Uh, are, are you guys using more of just a kind of self-assembling structural component, or is
0: there some kind of stimulus? Yeah. So for the nanocarriers that I talked about today, it is strictly through the self-assembly of the of the nanomaterials. Um, but with our hydrogel microparticles, we do chemically link peptides and things like that to the surface. Um, we haven't really done like drug loading, as far as I know, inside of our hydrogel microparticles. But we can like load things into that interstitial space. So we've done a little bit of both supermolecular loading and also some chemical conjugation as well. Awesome. And
3: then I think my last question was. Um, so I know you kind of talked to, mentioned a little bit about um, the gels, as far as like creating those lipid scaffolds mm-hmm. for like burn like healing. Um have you guys looked into or considered at all like adding in um like a kind of antibiotic component to that as well as maybe in combination with like a stem cell component to kind of aid in regeneration as well as protect like that area That's
0: yeah. Something. So the so with the hydrogels for burn victims um, Is something that I am hoping to do in my own lab one day. So that work hasn't been done yet. But the work that I'm doing now um, with those hydrogel microparticles, we do use them for subcutaneous wounds. Um, and so we do put um, – you asked me about in, like uh, – what was it?
3: The antibiotic like – Yeah. Some type
0: of... So we do add antibodies. So... Yeah. So we, we've added various antibodies. We've added um, – like, uh, what is it called? Um, We've added different peptides to, like, help cells adhere to the surface. So those are all modifications that we can add to our hydrogel scaffold in order to better, like, target um, cells or to better be able to, like, signal for cells to come and, like, actually do their job, for example. Um, And so one of our projects that we're hoping to get – Funded soon is actually adding these antibodies to the surface awesome. to like target different cell types. So that's the direction we're heading. So yeah, there's a large design space for that for okay, sure. Awesome.
3: Yeah, sorry, I, no, I, you're fine. I know you, you were you kind of
0: it, it wasn't necessarily the, no.
3: That's okay.
0: That we're doing um, in the Segura lab with that. So. If, I don't know if I should do like a shameless plug, but <laughs> if you go to sagiralab.duke.edu, we have like honestly one of the coolest websites I've ever seen in my life. And you can go on and see like what all of the, what all types of things we're putting on these hydrogel microparticles. It's really bananas, but like super cool stuff.
3: Yeah, definitely. I'll check that out. Yeah, no problem.
4: Yeah, I also checked out the, the pictures of everybody in the lab. Okay, so I, I like the fact that you are a STEM entrepreneur and I love outreach events and I love to organize those. But I come from a country, you know, I come from Africa. So integrating that into the American system is very challenging. Mm-hmm. So for somebody like me, I I have to say get like, a certain population of people who like, probably go for the minority and you know, African population. And see how I can bridge the gap and engage them with STEM programs. So, for you, how do you get to select your groups that you actually do like outreach events for
0: STEM? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I think the first thing I want to say is don't feel like you ever have to limit yourself in anything that you do. Like, if you're passionate about it, there's going to be a way to make it happen. And I think that you sh- if it's something that you want to do and you're passionate about, definitely pursue that. And I think in terms of like, how did I choose which groups to kind of target and focus on? I mean, I I picked groups that I could relate to. So I'm a black queer woman and I was like, okay, cool. Like, let me, <laughs> like, I know that I struggled with potentially like getting to college in the first place. My parents didn't know how to apply it to college. They didn't, you know, know how to help me in that realm. So, you know, how can I reach back to students? Mississippi has one of the highest black populations in the entire country. So, I mean, that was an easy community to reach. And I was always, you know, there. And then, you know, it became, I work in the community very frequently. So like, what do people need? And what skills do I have to address that need? What resources do I have to address that need? So it became like, okay, well, I primarily focus on students from like lower socioeconomic backgrounds who tend to be a part of the black community. Um, and then, like, just from there, just kind of grew. Um, so I reach all types of students, but I do tend to focus on students who are most like me so that hopefully they can see themselves here one day, too.
4: And, yeah. and, and you know, uh, also, like, I know it takes about also, like, financial implications to me. Mm-hmm. So where do you... What a
0: question, because let me tell you, started my business as a Brooke grad student and now keeping it going as a broke postdoc is really, really challenging for sure. So the way that I started, I actually just asked family and friends um, for donations to the business. Um, I said, hey, I want to do this thing. If you believe in the mission of my company, then would you invest? Would you would you donate some funds? And. They did. I think in like a day or two, I had over $300. And then like, from there, it was okay, now I just need to get my product out there. Like, and it was literally just me ordering everything from online and trying to figure out how to like price things and like asking parents, like, are you willing to pay this amount? Because accessibility is really important to me, especially if I'm, you know, targeting these like lower income families and things like that. Like, How can I reach them in an accessible way? So trying to price things differently. And so then it was like, okay, if you're willing to pay this much for this month's activity kit, are you willing to also pay for one for another student for maybe somebody that can't afford it? And you'd be surprised at how many people are like philanthropic and are like, yeah, I'll do that. I'll send you an extra 30 bucks to pay for another student's activity kit. And so from the first set of donations, I was actually able to give 80 activity kits to a school in Atlanta, Georgia. And I wasn't, I'm not even, I just picked a teacher and was like, hey, can I send you these, these activity kits from someone I, I knew. And he went, he taught at a, a high school that was um a lower income school, tended to have like lower, like testing scores and things like that. But I was like, no, I think we can engage these students in a different way and they'll be excited about it. And it was wild to see, (laughs) to see their transformation before and after they did this activity. So I think that was like how I reached the population and how I figured out like what to do, but also how I initially got funding. And now I started, now that I've gotten things up and running and started, I've started applying for grants. Um, I still accept donations, like, through the website and everything, (laughs) Um, but I have been able to write, like, community grants and things like that um, to secure funding as well. So, yeah, I think that's kind of been definitely – I mean, you have to put some money into it through, like, your own pocket, but I feel like there's other avenues. I would just
3: ask around. People will believe in, in your mission. Yeah. What is the number one or the top three kind of obstacles that kind of stand in the way of people that are like you, that don't want to limit themselves and like their potential outreach mm-hmm. and you're in academia, you're surrounded by kind of an institution that, you know, goes back for a while and it's establishing some nasty things, isolating and not allowing people to actually be able to attain education. So what are like
0: the main obstacles when you're in this environment to look for that like are still present? Ooh, that is a good question. Um I think those are things that I'm still working through and like trying to learn even as I'm like navigating like the faculty job search, right? But I think the things that I have realized is that, um I guess to spin it in a more positive way, I guess is to go where people value the things that you value. If you value like teaching or value outreach, go where those folks value those things so that the things that you value aren't looked at as like a negative thing, right? Because I think that that can push people out of out of this field. I think so that's one thing. I guess the next thing would be to always lead with like curiosity and a and a pure heart. I think one of the things that pushes people away from this field is when people are just kind of, like, objectively ugly for no reason. Not, like, in appearance, but, like, when you are just, like, when you're, like, you know, just, you know, the the person that will ask the questions to, like, flex their own, like, knowledge, you know? It's, like, you know those those people, and you can usually tell when you're getting a question like that when someone wants is genuinely curious about something versus when, like, you're asking a question to be, to be ugly. So I think it's up to us ourselves to be able to identify when we're asking a question for our own curiosity or to challenge someone's thinking or thought process. So I think if we're all mindful of that on our own, that could make STEM in this field and academia a better place. And then I guess the third thing is just like, I don't know. I just feel like be kind to folks. Like <laughs> I feel like, you know, this field does not have to be like, this super competitive like place like i believe that stem like all of the the stem fields have the potential to be this super collaborative environment and like this super exciting place to be it doesn't have to be a competition or a race to the finish every single time like if one person wins and gets there like we all do and i think that that's so important to kind of keep in mind so those would be like my top three obstacles but like how we can address them better too
4: it's simple, you know. Um, you just finished your PhD, got into your postdoc, and now you're looking for faculty. Do you ever get experience of how it would be to translate the research into the industry? Or even mm-hmm. have do you, you not know, that experience of working in the
3: industry? Um, okay, wait can you reframe uh, or restate your question? I think I missed a part of it. So
4: you've not had a chance of really translating
3: the uh, into, into industry. industry. Yeah. So,
0: do you ever have like a curious mind about working in the industry? Yeah, um, <laughs> I actually fought tooth and nail about going into academia. I did not want to go into academia when I started. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to industry. I am not going into academia. And I think that again, it's like following your passions, right? So, I think that what ended up happening was um, I told my PI when I was in grad school, I was like, I'm going to industry. I don't care. I'm going to industry. I do not want to be in academia. And I was TAing my whole five years of grad or full four of the five years of grad school. And every week I would go to her office and I'm like, gosh, these students, they just didn't get it this week. (laughs) And so next week, this is how I'm going to explain it (laughs) so that they get it because I want them to get it. And she would just like sit there and she's like, okay, Brianna. All right. And so then like the next week I'm like, okay, so more got it. But like, some of them still didn't get it. So let me show you how I'm going to explain it next week. And she's like, okay. So then like three years of that. <laughs> and eventually I was like, okay, so I, I think I'm going to go into academia. And she was like, great. Glad you realized this, you know. <laughs> I'm glad you know and she was like because literally no other students come to my office complaining about other students not understanding what they're teaching and she was like you're the only one that does this and you come in here every week wanting to re-explain something to me and she's like I know these things <laughs> but you like re-explain it for your for yourself to be able to explain it better to other people and she's like so I just needed you to to get it and so I actually um went to the Nobushet conference. It was the conference that I met Dr. Waddell at, actually. And every person I met, I was like, okay, yeah, so I think I'm going to go into industry. And they're like, you should not. And I was <laughs> like, why? I even interviewed with a couple of industry um, companies. And even on my interviews, they were like, you know, you would be really great in academia. You explain things so well. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. And then when Dr. Jackson, the one of the founders of Novache, um, he told me, he himself, him and his wife both told me I should go into academia. I was like, okay, maybe I should, like, listen, <laughs> you know? And then I ended up pulling all my applications from the industry positions and was like, I'll just go into academia. Like, I really love it. I think it'll be fun. I would get paid a lot more in industry, but I think to, like, help empower, like, this next generation of, of science scholars, like,
3: I'll take a pay cut. That's <laughs> I just want to thank you for your presentation. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Uh, I just want to ask about
4: your lab. Uh, do you use anything similar to something
3: possible plasma resonance from cells?
0: So the short answer is no, but we do use like confocal microscopy. We use um, a scanning electron microscopy, and we use TEM. Um, those are really the the standards that we use primarily in our lab, um, but I do think that we could do some different types of imaging um, and different types of microscopy for sure. Yeah, I think there's still there's still room to grow in our in our lab. Oh yeah, so the Segura lab website or yeah. so. Oh, so I do not have my own lab yet. Hopefully, very soon, like this time next year, cross y'all's fingers. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, this time next year, I will. And I don't. I can't promise that my website would be as nice as the Secure Lab <laughs> website, but hopefully, there is a website, right? Yeah. So yeah, I yeah, I currently don't have a lab, but I hope
3: to. What I'm it. I got it, what other things do you have passion for? Mm, what other things?
0: Wow. So, most recently, I have been with my cousin. We've been like tasting. Well, we go to eat at like all these restaurants and stuff in town and just we take all these pictures and videos and we're going to start a food Instagram. And (laughs) that's like one of my favorite things. So food, if anybody ever like cooks food, I'm like, I'm there. I love to cook. I love to eat. I love to drink good wine. I like to drink I'm learning how to like beer I know that's like a weird thing to say but I'm trying Okay, come to
2: Asheville come to Asheville I'm from Asheville
0: they have all they have the
2: beer
3: you need
0: okay yeah. good to know good to know yeah. it's a fun process but I'm getting there you know
3: it's, it's, a, fun it's a fun journey I, I would love to be on your food um, I cook some
0: okay same what do you what do you make African food yeah. okay okay yes okay <laughs> okay so let me know when y'all <laughs> send me an email I will make the job, <laughs> <is a> job. <laughs> oh, yeah, we, should. we should Well actually yeah. there are some scientists um, when I was at the University of Mississippi there was um, one of the chemists who talked about the chemistry of yeast and like how mm. different types of yeast make like your cookies and cakes rise differently yeah, yeah. so I think we could make a collaboration on food <laughs> I think
3: that would be awesome
0: <laughs> I think we could, we could totally do it maybe get JSNN to like uh, yes. fund it yes, and
3: sponsor yeah. the You know,
0: we got to taste all of the different
3: things. (laughs) (laughs) Who can we write a grant to?
0: The science of food. We'll put some science in just to get the grant. (laughs) Absolutely. I think it's possible. (laughs) All right. Thanks for
2: watching, everyone. Thank you again, Dr. Sins, for joining us today. And we'll see you next time on the next episode of (laughs) Navigating Nano.
3: We did it. No, thank Yay! you so much. <laughs>